Welcome to Wednesday Night Live. It's good to have everybody who is in attendance here and those online. We want to invite you, if you're in the area, to come by and worship with us. Our Bible study is at 9 o'clock a.m. and our 10 a.m. worship is an open worship. Then at 5 p.m. you'll get another sermon if you come back. But it is, a, it is our time to really look at those people who feel vulnerable. So we have a mask requirement. So if you want to come, come out. We'd love to meet you. As you can see, this uh, up here is our pack the pulpit. We're trying to get enough food to keep our food pantry going. And uh, if you can be part of that, that would be great. Tonight we're going to be talking about after the giant falls out of 1 Samuel 18 through chapter 20. This is a class where we learn from each other. So ask questions, make comments. If it's not clear to you, it's probably my fault. Uh, sometimes my wife tells me I'm clear as mud on a rainy day. And uh, my daughter's made that statement for a while now. So if you don't understand, let us know. And together we'll come to an answer. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for everybody here. And thank you for helping us to look into your word and, and see how some of the great heroes of scripture were bold and courageous. They didn't look like they could win in any situation. But you brought them through. I asked you help me get out of the way that people can clearly see you. In Jesus' name. Amen. How would you describe your feelings towards someone you know for whom everything seems to be going right? Uh, I, this one comes way back. My arm had been operated on, and I had a roommate that was a teenager, and his mother was there. And it was the day that Steve Jobs died. So if y'all can remember back that far, it's been a while. She was looking like she threw a party because Steve Jobs died. And he had all this money and he died anyway. And she never had that kind of money and she was living. And the whole day, everybody that came in got the Steve Jobs story about how Steve Jobs died and left all that money behind. So it's something like that. You know, somebody who is successful at something and you have this, this feeling about them. What kind of feelings do you have? Good feelings. Good feelings. Yep. Uh, I, I feel good about them. I'm happy for them. I pray for them. And uh, 
you know, if I could do anything to make their way even smoother, that's, that's my mindset. Oh, very good. Thank you, Ed. I always had the same attitude as William has, but I haven't always. Uh, sometimes uh, I feel jealous, envious. Uh, yeah. <laughs> sometimes you feel jealous and envious. Thank you, Sue. Got to have at least one more. Shad. Um, sometimes feel a little hatred to the to towards the individual which would be Jeff Bezos. He doesn't do anything and he keeps getting all my money. So, uh, so sometimes, sometimes when people are always positive and things aren't going for other people, it aggravates them or um, they wonder why and what drives that person to always be positive. Uh, even, especially when you see them going through a rough time or whatever and they're still positive, a lot of people um, seem to want to step in and make things go wrong for that individual and they keep trying to push them um, that's what i've seen yeah i've seen some of that too very good thank you all beginning in verse 16 now the spirit of the lord had departed from saul and an evil spirit from the lord tormented saul saul's attendant said to him see an evil spirit from god is tormenting you let our Lord command his servant here to search for someone who can play the harp. And he will play when the evil spirit from God comes upon you and you will feel better. So I kind of like the picture of King Saul. He just looks grumpy uh, in the picture. But they're trying to get the king in a better mood. A king in a bad mood can be a very bad story. So... His attendants say to Saul, Saul says to attendants, find someone who plays well and bring him to me. And one of his servants said, I've seen the son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the harp. He's a brave man and a warrior and he speaks well and he's, fine, he's a fine looking man. And the Lord is with him. So David gets the job of playing for the king. Things are looking pretty good for him. And Saul likes it enough that he sends word to Jesse, allow him to remain in my service for I'm very pleased with him. Whenever the spirit from God came upon Saul, David would take out his harp and play and then relief would come to Saul. He'd feel better and the evil spirit would leave him. Things are going good. Every time that Saul needs some relief, David supplies it. Things are going good. And then it happens. This is what we talked about last week. Goliath, nine foot nine comes up and he looks at David the boy and David uses a slingshot and puts a stone right between his eyes and he dies. 
And all of a sudden, all this goodwill for David starts evaporating. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. And he loved him as he loved himself. How do you... How does the passage describe the bond between David and Jonathan? Let's try something that might spark your memory. You all got a great friend? How do you feel about your great friend? They was kinsmen, even though they wasn't related. It was just like uh, they rejoiced with each other. If things were going well, they cried with each other when things wasn't going well. But when they see each other, they just light up because, because uh, I don't know if uh, they had a lot in common, but they cared about each other, huh? and they looked out for each other. Yeah. Very good. He loved him as himself, and that's a very unselfish love. You know, you would do for him whatever you would do for yourself. I'm looking at where it said became one spirit. They were, they didn't look at themselves as two separate people, but as one. And they'd do anything, anything for the other one. And so, you know, it tries to put it in terms to say and he loved him as himself. That's because they were one. They were one spirit. They were two people, but they were one spirit that just showed just how close they were, that they were one spirit together. Yeah, good. It's good. And Jonathan makes a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan takes off the robe he is wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Why is it significant that it is Jonathan's robe, his tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt? Wait. You know, I think that's a that's a sign that shows that the things that is close to me, the things that I cherish, I, I will give to you. I think later on somewhere it talks about Saul doing the same thing with with David, uh, even giving him his sword, all the way down to his. Uh, they it, it's really his underwear, but you call it something else. But I, I just think that was a tradition of that time to show how much, how close we are. Yeah. Yeah. Sue. <laughs> so. 
Well, and maybe David didn't have an armor yet. I know when Saul tried to give him his, you know, it was a little, little big for him. And maybe Jonathan was closer his size. Okay. Well, let me pick on Shad and, and Jim at the same time. Which of you wants to be rich? <laughs> You'll try for a little bit? Okay, good. You've got the nice car. Jim has the very used car. You live in a palace. He lives in a, an apartment. Yeah, you pointed to him, Jim. <laughs> you want to take it back? <laughs> you go to the posh places all the time. Jim's most posh place is Cracker Barrel. Would you ever give that all to him? Nah. nah. <laughs> That's what Jonathan did. This wasn't run-of-the-day stuff. This was stuff made for royalty. Now, you would be David. David probably never has had an armor. He probably never has had a robe that was quality made or, or a tunic. And he had to cut, how did he cut off Goliath's head? Y'all remember? He used Goliath's sword. He didn't have one. He didn't have a bow. And he, he just, all this is completely new to him. And that goes back to what we were saying before. It's, it's, you love them so much. I think Chuck made the comment. You love them so much, what is mine is yours. You need it? Okay. You can have it. Okay, good. Whatever Saul sent him to do, David did it so successfully that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased the people and Saul's officers as well. Anything hit you about that verse? How trained in the military is David at this point that we know of? Not trained at all. And he's sending him out to take on some people. How did the officers and people of Israel Field. They were pleased. They were pleased. Uh, I'm a Pittsburgh Steeler fan. I lived in Pittsburgh for a while. I got to know some of the Steelers for a while. So I'm, I, that was a long time ago. None of them are playing now. But in Pittsburgh, if they're winning, the stadium's full. I mean, it is full. You can't get a tick. The scalpers are doubling the prices of the tickets, and they're still selling and all that. If they're having a bad season, the stadium's not full. <laughs> Pittsburgh has what I call fair-weather friends. If they're not winning, they don't want anything to do with them. If they're winning, they'd sing jingles about them. 
So he's having success, and the people are going, yes, we're having success. It's like filling a stadium whenever your team's winning. But it's not. It's different. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from the towns of Israel to meet King, Dave, King Saul with singing and dancing and joyful songs and tambourines and lutes. And they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands of thousands. And Saul was very angry that this refrain galled him. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands? What more can he get but the whole kingdom? Okay, what, what is happening there? Chat. I, I don't think David, the people around David, doesn't think David really paid his dues to get where he's at. Um, he, he completed one task. And um, the other people have probably been in the army for years and years and, and have had th thousands of kills. And now David, under the one task that he completed, supersedes everybody around him now. So I imagine everybody's getting a little furious. Okay, very good. It, it doesn't seem like they've figured out why David's doing so well. Saul hasn't, the people haven't. They think it's all David. They don't understand it isn't all David. It's God. Very good. William. The thing that I think about when this happened and the women were singing, I think in, the day, in David's mind he's saying, keep my friends close, keep my enemies closer, because he looked at it as a threat to his crown. He looked at David as a, a, a threat then, and, and uh, I just don't think that, uh, I don't think there was, I think he, uh, he might have been neutral with David or celebratory with him with his uh, victory over Goliath, but now, He's looking at him as a threat. Very good. How did he feel about it? And he said, he says he's jealous. He's, he's jealous of David's popularity, that he is know he's become a rock star okay and he's not getting all the glory now he's not getting the glory and he looks at David and he's a little jealous good Chuck well by this time Saul realizes his days are numbered he's been told by Samuel that he's he's, he's lost he's gonna lose it Spirit of God has left him he's now been plagued by a, a uh, a spirit that uh, tortures him a little bit and so he's jealous but he probably says I can see what's happening I'm just not sure how I could stop it but 
at that particular, that fear has crept into his, into his thinking as justly as it should. Okay, very good. <laughs> I wonder how he got to this point because David did not earn the popularity that, he's, that he has. So I'm sure he's got to be angry that he's paid his dues and just got overstepped. So he has to be angry. And, um, you know, nobody factors God into the, to the uh, whole picture because it's David that's getting all the praise, not God. And then David, at the beginning, was praising God when he created the act against the giant. But it seems like God is completely out of the picture at this point. Okay, very good. What kind of steps would you take to counteract bitterness next time you feel yourself, the next time you find yourself wishing harm on somebody near to you who's prospering? Is it the jealous part or is you don't know what you would do? So, well, I think if you can remember that God has blessed them and God has a right to bless whoever he chooses to bless, um, okay, very that, good. that would help maybe. Okay, very good. That's one way. And we know just because everybody has everything they want or they're very wealthy don't mean that they don't have other problems which their problems may be greater than your problems so i think before you get angry at what somebody has or their success um you need to have peace with who you are and what you have um first before you create anger against somebody okay very good wait I'm going back to uh, when Samuel uh, uh, followed God's command to anoint David as king. And, and, you know, at this time, Saul is in the dark. He, did, he doesn't know that happened. You know, he was trying to keep up with Samuel, but, but he's in the dark. So I feel that if he have known that information, he would have killed David. But when you look at how God worked in this thing, David is living in the king's house, maybe, maybe a little further back now, living in the king's house, and he is really uh, uh, getting mentored on how to be king of Israel. So God has set that up for him to kind of walk in, into it. It's going to be rough. It's going to be ups and downs, but... Saul go backwards and forth, as you know. One time he loves David, next time he's trying to kill him. And very good. Online, Heidi says she was jealous of one of her friends, and she she tried to befriend her. Is how she the step she took. So Heidi would befriend her person that she's feeling jealous of. Great, thank you, Heidi. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully, forcefully upon Saul. 
He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the harp as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand and he hurled it saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. You see anything that's interesting? Chuck. That's what I find interesting. You throw a spear at me, I'm not going to give you another shot. If you move the miss the first time, it's not going to work a second time. You with Chuck? I am too. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but he had left Saul. So he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men, and David led the troops in their campaigns. In everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. When Saul saw Saul, when Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. I wonder why he's afraid of him. He's got all the power. Chuck. He doesn't really have all the power. He doesn't really have all the power. Very good. He can see the way God, he, and he knows it. He says, I know God's the one who's with David now. He's, he's finally put it together and said, that's what it is. But he had plans. He had plans, I'm sure, for Jonathan to take over as king after he was king. And in spite of what Samuel told him, he wanted to establish his lineage as kings. And the fear there was of what David would do if, when he took over and the fact that God was no longer with him he knew he was shut out okay very good William you know I'm thinking one thing that that's in Saul's mind when he put him over the thousand and he sent him in against the Philistines he was hoping that he did not come back alive <laughs> I think that's what has happened Yes. And let's not forget, David killed a giant with a pebble, and he's got reflexes like a cat. So, you know, I mean, so the, the guy, he's just, he's just undefeatable. You, you, you know what I mean? So I think that's a, a simple fact that he's scared also. I hadn't thought about that, but you're right. Very good. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. Saul said to David, here is my older, older daughter, Mirab, and I will give to you in the marriage, only serve me bravely and fight the battles of the Lord. For Saul said to himself, I will not raise a hand against him. Let the Philistines do that.
So he's giving him, he's bringing him into the family with the older daughter, Mirab, with the idea now he can really send him out. He's part of the royal family. He can really send him out into the battle with the Philistines who they've been battling with forever. What was Saul really hoping for when he offered his daughter in marriage to David in exchange of feats of bravery in battle? Killed in the battle. He's hoping he gets killed in the battle. Eric? That's exactly what I was going to say. He, he, uh, his purpose was to kill him. And that was, uh, that would be his, uh, well, <laughs> that would be his, uh, his goal, you know, until he himself is killed for the rest of his life. Very good. That kind of looks like a precursor for David and Uriah. Precursor for David and Uriah. Okay, very good. I've... Uh, why might we wish that something bad happened to a rival rather than choosing to actually harm him ourselves? It's hard to step in the spotlight when everybody's accusing you of doing something wrong. But if you get somebody else to do it for you, you can just bask in, this, in all the spotlight. That's what Saul was hoping to do was Get back in the spotlight. William. The old, uh, 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 it's not a fallacy, but it's, 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 a, it's kind of a constant saying, you throw a rock at your enemy and hide your hand. <laughs> throw a rock at your enemy and hide your hand? Not me. <laughs> I got my hand behind me. <laughs> we should upon them uh, bad things to happen to them or their success to slip it away, to slip away. We, we wish it upon them. I think we relieve ourselves as guilt because we didn't actually have an action in it. So we wish it upon them thinking that we're not guilty of creating, causing the act of, of that. Very good, thank you. When I lived in Pittsburgh, there was this young lady, I think she's about 16 or 17, who had a flat tire. So I pulled over and I said, can you change the tire? She says, I can't. And she gave me the key to the trunk. Out, just, she did the window that much, just enough to get the key out to me. And uh, I told her to put on the parking brake and I, Got it up, got the spare on, put it back down, went back, gave her the key. She says, I hope that guy that passed by me gets all four flat. That, that's that kind of vengeance. I told her when she said, I said, just remember, I stopped. <laughs> I, see a, I see a parallel in this story to, to Jesus. Like the Pharisees are kind of like, they're the ones in charge, but as Jesus comes along, everybody starts shifting their likes and everything towards him. 
And the Pharisees can see that that's the chosen way, the big giant being Satan, of course. And their hate for Jesus, they put him out to test after test after test. And this is the same thing. As they put him through their three trials of their own, they hand him over to the Romans. Let the blood be on your hands. We don't want this blood. And this is what Saul's doing with David. I don't want the blood on my hands. It's on somebody else. I hadn't thought of that. Very good. Thank you, Doug. When the attendants told David these things, he was pleased to become the king's son-in-law. So before the allotted time elapsed, David and his men went out and killed 200 Philistines and brought their foreskins and presented the full number to the king so that he might become the king's son-in-law. And then Saul gave him his daughter Michael in marriage. I don't know why you would name a, a girl Michael, but I like the name. When Saul realized the Lord was with David and that his daughter Michael loved David. What galls him? First of all, do you remember all the promises to the guy who kills Goliath? King's daughter in marriage. Never pay a tax. Never have to serve in the military. They're all sort of been done away with by now. He's not doing any of that. So what do you think is really galling Saul most about David? that the people love David. They sang songs about David. That would have been one thing. Definitely. Definitely. I think Saul is mad still because he's tried everything in his power to get in David's way and David keeps coming out like smelling like roses. So I think that's what upsets him the most. Okay. Thank you. Well, as I said, everybody loves David. The Lord loves David. His daughter, who's been his daughter evidently for a long time, he would think that allegiance and alliance would be to him. Nope, it's to David. And I don't know what he had in his mind. Well, maybe, maybe Michael could somehow do away with David, you know, if I told her to. But everything, everything he turns to try and say, look what Saul did, everybody goes, wow, look what David got. Yeah. You're ahead of me, but I'm going to catch up to you here in just a few seconds. Saul became still more afraid of him. And he remained his enemies the rest of his day. The Philistine commanders continued to go out to battle, and as often as they did, David met with more success than the rest of Saul's officers. And his name became well known. And Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants, kill David. William. 
I, you know, I want to go back a little bit because the question I would have is, if I was Saul, the, the, the person that connected Saul with God was Samuel, the prophet Samuel. And I would be thinking, where is Samuel? You know, Samuel is not in the picture here. But in knowing that, if I was Saul, I'd say, well, the best thing that could happen to me is Samuel come and help restore that relationship with God. Okay, very good. I had not thought of that one either. So he sends out all of his officials and his son and says, kill David on sight. But Jonathan was very fond of David and warned him, my father's looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning and go into hiding and stay there. I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are. And I'll speak to him about you. And then I will tell you what I find out. So Saul sends messengers to David's house to watch him. That he might kill him in the morning. But Michael, David's wife, told him, If you do not escape with your life tonight, Tomorrow, you will be killed. He wants to kill a man again who's done no wrong. A son-in-law. Sue. He feels like that, I think, that David has taken everything that was of value to him. Uh, he no longer has God with him. Uh, he's with David. The Lord is supporting him, giving him success. His son and his daughter uh, now are allied with David. Uh, all these things that are so important the glory that he had from the people because he was the great leader of their troops and he was king uh, all that he's lost uh, and he he's angry with David and of course it wasn't David's fault this was all a blessing from God you know you see this character flaw from Saul now magnified it all started when he brought back the king, he brought back the sheep, brought back all the things that he wasn't supposed to do because he was bringing glory to himself. And he's out of that spotlight now. And the only way he can see, to, you know, and you see this with people, the only way they can raise themselves up is to denigrate everybody around them, to, to destroy their reputation, to just, in this case, well, it's all to destroy them. And that's how he's gonna raise himself back up is to push everybody else down. Aren't we so fortunate to be able to go back and look at the scripture and study it and, and learn from it? But, you know, Saul, if he would have brought David in as family at the very beginning and made him not exactly equal, but made him respectful, 
and didn't have all the hate, he probably wouldn't lost any respect or any power or anything to David. They still would have thought he was a gracious king, honorable, held David to a high standard, welcomed David as family, and wouldn't have driven that wedge between the two as the hatred for David, David did. I haven't thought of it that way. William. Saul is reflecting on his life, and I think he goes all the way back to the Malachites, but he's thinking how empty his life really is without God. Yeah. Without God, he has nothing. And how important pieces of his life is slowly dissolving right in front of his face. And guess what? Really, he can't do anything about it. Thank you. Chuck. Now, kind of piggybacking on what Chad says, you do have some, he, he was an insecure person, and he was becoming more and more insecure. And I don't know how much of that was the evil spirit or his nature, and it was just magnified, but you looked at Joseph becoming number two in the, in this, in the country of Egypt. That pharaoh had no problem at all. He was a secure leader. You look at Daniel becoming number two in the Babylonian kingdom under Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar had no insecurity as far as him being king. But you see great insecurity with Saul and, and the way he handles it is just, it's a mess. Yeah, it's a mess. That's a good way of putting it. He expects to be the leader of God's people by breaking one of the commandments through murder. That doesn't make any sense that he would break God's simple laws, you know, the, the big laws, I guess, to be the leader to God's people. Okay, thank you, Doug. Why might someone hate a person who's done nothing but good for him or her? Susan. Just a general thing, you know, when you look at David's life, he did a lot of the bad things that Saul did, and some were even worse. The difference is how he reacted to being pointed out he had done something wrong. He could have turned it totally wrong when they said, you've done this wrong, and he could have been repentant. He didn't. He put excuses up. He justified it. David never did that. And it just shows that's the difference in people. Very good. Thank you. So she finds out that he's going to be dead in the morning, and Michael lets David down through the window. And he escapes. I love this. I really do. This part of it's great. And she takes an image and lays it on the bed, puts a, a pillow of goat's hair on its head, and covers it with clothes. When Saul sends his messengers to David, she says, he's sick. And then Saul sent the messengers to see David and said, bring him to me in the bed that I may kill him. And when the messengers came back, and behold, the image was in the bed with the pillow of goat's hair at its head. And Saul says to Michael, 
Why did you deceive me like this and send my enemy away so that he escaped? And Michael tells Saul, he said to me, let me get away. Why should I have to kill you? <laughs> so it's, it's Michael's idea to put him down out of the window. It, Michael's the one who makes the, the dummy David. Not that David's a dummy, but the, the fake David. And when the, the guys come in, they said, we want David. She says, he's sick. <laughs> and they go back and they said, he's sick. He says, bring him in his bed. We'll get him. I'll kill him then. So they go and they get him in the bed and they find this thing that she's made up. And they said, why did you let him escape? And she said, he said, let me get away and then I won't have to kill you. <laughs> I think she knew her dad kind of well, <laughs> in my opinion. Okay, that's what the class tonight, y'all did great. You make this class interesting and fun and, and I'm learning a lot from you. So thank you all for coming. And people online, keep tuning in. We want to hear from you too. This is the way that God's people do it. They rely on one another to become different and learn what God asked of them. So tune in next week as we continue the story of Saul and David.